Ladies and gentlemen, to another wonderful episode of Fangs and Fonts, starring your hosts, Roland, Voice, Yanara, and I'm Ocean. And today we get to talk about why you should read as a writer. <clears throat> and uh, I'm totally going <laughs> to flub that part and uh, move Intros straight on. Intros are hard, eh? What's that? <laughs> Intros are hard. I, I haven't done any for a while. I mean, it's either usually you or Tal that takes over the intros. Uh, the last time I tried it, it was like, that's exactly how Ocean does it. I've still like, never well, done one. You have done You have. Yep. We You've forced done at least you to. Yes. Yes, yes, you have. We literally forced you to. <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> so we're going to sit here and tell you for about the next 90 to 120 minutes why you should read. Well, usually our shows are now about an hour. We... <laughs> <laughs> but you're the editor, so they can be as long as you want. Uh, maybe I'll just add 30 minutes of dead air. <laughs> do, 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 just like the Tetris sound. Just put sounds. that on loop. Just the Tetris sound play on there. So we, we encounter many aspiring writers who claim, I don't have the time to read. Sounds and we're about to tell you why that is Bullshit. complete bollocks. <laughs> I, I was going to refrain from swearing, but would have otherwise. Um... Reading, well, let's get into that, shall we? Why should authors read? Now, from a very basic standpoint, a writer who doesn't read is kind of like a cook that doesn't eat. Yeah, a cook that does not try his own cooking. Yeah, similar to the never trust a... Never uh, trust a chef that smokes. Never trust a chef that doesn't try his own food. I've literally never heard that, but... Really? uh, Yeah, because all chefs smoke. Not sorry, sorry to mine, burst your bubble there, but, do, but most creators don't. That's a very vague term. Well, there's a lot of creators, so I assume that a lot of chefs are also creators. But all chefs do try their own food. How do they, yes. That's how you know chefs, if, if you're cooking something good or not. Like, yeah, how would you know that you like unless you have done it to such a degree where you already know what it tastes like? Yeah, but even then, you're gonna just double check and go, yeah, it's good. You might, or like, you, you may reach a point of where you're comfortable enough, but mostly. Yes, a chef will try his own food. He will try his own hors d'oeuvres, his own entrees. He'll take off a little piece. Maybe he's just hungry, but he'll <laughs> he'll eat. You know, never trust a skinny chef. And don't trust a writer who doesn't read. Here, here. Be- because reading grants you a sense of perspective that you will not have in your own little mind. And I say, you know, little in the sense that you are... When you try to write something without having the experience of other writers and others' ideas... You're your own finite resource. Yes. like It's very difficult to draw new experiences from something that only you have input on. That's one that... Part of me, I can't help but feel sometimes that if you encounter a writer that says they don't read, part of me kind of thinks that that is almost an illiterate level of skill. Like... Well, and to me, reading is is. If you didn't read growing up, that meant you weren't good with words and you weren't really smart, and that bias carries over as an adult. If someone doesn't read and they say they write, that bias part of my head from my childhood perks up and says, "So do they not read because they don't understand what they're doing or what they're well, seeing?" Like I, reading I, comprehension in high school. I, I, I don't. I don't think that when people say this, they mean I don't read. Usually they say, I don't have the time to read, meaning that they did at one point when time and other concerns weren't really a factor. Or they only read X. Yeah, or, yeah, or they read a very specific type of thing, like, or maybe they only read comics or something like or that. Or newspapers. But or I definitely, definitely like, think that the, uh, oh, I don't have time to read is usually the common one you hear. And it's, or, it's not uncommon in any other aspect of you know, a person's hobby. I don't have the time to work out. I don't have the time to read. I don't have the time to write. And if you go to somebody who does those things, you go to somebody who writes and you say, I don't have the time to write. Well, they're like, well, what time are you putting aside? 
Yeah. Everyone mm -hmm. is going to ask you that question if they're if they're doing this consistently. Well, they should be asking that and not why can't you because then you'll make up excuses. But. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the, the the proper question is what time are you putting aside for this? And if your answer is none, then There's your my res my response to you is you're not trying hard enough. Everyone has time, and every writer should make the time to read. Agreed. Because um, if you're at least not writing, you should at least be reading because you're still doing something in the craft rather than just whatever. Um, you, have you ever had music lessons as a kid? Yes. You always hated drills. You hated doing your scale. I hated doing my scales. I hated practice. I hated the practice. <laughs> but I loved playing the songs. Mm -hmm. And this is very similar to the progression of being able to become a better musician, a better writer, a better etc. You're building a foundation with experiences that you would not have yet experienced on your own. And that allows you to apply these fundamental concepts to something that you then yourself are creating. You, you won't be able to impro improvise a jazz solo without learning a few chords first, just the same as you won't be able to write a very solid story without seeing how one is written. Well, that's one of the things you have a lot of kids, especially, I'll use my own example. In junior high, I was teamed up in a group for a reading project with three ne'er-do-wells. And they, I mean, these people were known as ne'er-do-wells. They ended up going on to a different school for... Uh, ne'er-do-well students. Students that need help. And we were doing Beowulf. Now, Beowulf at junior high level, it's kind of hard to get a kid in, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's got trolls and it has dragons, but what kid, especially if it's in the proper old English, really is going to give it down? And they might. And, I mean, yes, Yam's got her hand up. I There's did. also, <laughs> like, my brother in Wheel of Time or Lord of Rings and stuff like that. But we read it. I rather enjoyed aspects of it, but when it came down to sit and f down and record the review, our review was so bad and terrible and ne'er-do-well-dish that the teacher actually brought it up in class as to how not to do the project. And it was just a case of, I have no idea where I was going with this. I got distracted with that memory. Oh, honey. <laughs> the reason you're taught, given these classics when you're in school is so that you end up building a fundamental learning but it helps you build a fundamental understanding much like doing basic math helps you for math later on same thing goes for all these reading projects is you're given all these classics so that later on you have an understanding as to where our literary like modern where we've come from and all the stories that we've come from and how things like the Iliad and Beowulf you know have a place in our literary history and why. Gives you a better. When I was younger, I always had, <clears throat> I always had a pretty big problem grasping why any of this was important. I never really considered the uh, the more technical aspects of, of these stories, or they always went into some garbage about the mo the writer's motivation for doing something, and I never agreed with that. I just loved reading the old stuff and well reading the stuff and interpreting it it was fine but yep. I, the problem I always had was that schools always presented this as a means of what was the writer trying to say and I'm like well I don't know here read. I was really good at bullshitting that as a kid now that I think I hated here, bullshitting that here that read, read the hobbit now oh, notice so how the orcs are actually for the Nazis and Look at how the conflicts that are happening Wait. here. See, that's why I didn't like English until I got to university when, you know, when it was in high school, it's like, oh, this is what the author was saying, this is how the story means. And then in English, in, in university, the professor's like, what do you think it means? That's a good idea. Occasionally he'd be like, well, that's a good idea. It's wrong. This is what <laughs> I think, which is correct. But that's still a good <laughs> idea. You know, but well, it, it, was, it was more encouraging. What can we think about this? What, what do you... 
you know, what could it mean? It could mean anything. And well, your interpretation is the most important when you're trying to read something because once the book is out, that that's it. Well, Author's done. His input's been been made. I mean, I had a professor who taught a children's literature class, and her made like her I think dissertation paper for English was feminism in the um, Knights of the Round Table mythology. And I was just like, and I kind of paused and went, what? And then, the, you know, and over the years, I keep going back mentally to that and going like, that would actually be a fascinating take on it because you're looking at something that's written. Not what necessarily what the author entail, you know, when he wrote it, but you're also taking certain things that are like, oh, this is really interesting. You you really sort of get a sense for story elements that you enjoy, story elements that you hate, uh, things that really just don't work for you. you. You get an opportunity to see all of it when you're reading stories that, you know, were not written by you. These are people with more years of experience. They've been doing it longer. They've experienced a lot more stuff than you and... Or maybe they've experienced very different things than you when they're the same age. Like, the reading is important to gain a different perspective on on what you want your own writing to be. And actually, one last thing: it also helps you to realize, especially if you read um, a certain author consistently. Um, like when I was a kid, I read Dean Arcoombs like a lot, and there were stories of his I absolutely loved, and there were stories of his where I read it and went what did you do? Like, I could tell that his writing style had changed or he had changed something or he was going through a different perspective. There was once where he did the first-person perspective of a dog and I was like, what are you doing? I understand you love dogs, but I really don't need to hear about all the things the dog smells. It's like, <laughs> you can't do this well. And it very much came across as a, you know, first attempt at this thing rather than kind of learning how to do it. Something that was practiced and um, So one thing when you're reading, especially as a writer, um, you, you have two types of reading. You have reading critically and reading for fun. You can cross over fairly easily, but when it comes down to it, usually when you're reading a quote-unquote popcorn book, you're not really reading it critically until you hit something that sparks you into that editor mode or that critical reading mode. Um, we were talking about this before the podcast, and it's things like, it could just be a grammar phrase that doesn't make sense, or a punctuation mark where you're like, that that shouldn't be that way, and then you or you don't read a, understand a sentence, so you go back and you reread it, but when you go back and reread it, you're now looking at it from your, a writer's perspective, and sometimes staying in that writer perspective while you're reading a book or a short story or something can help you to understand it a lot more than just reading it for fun. Well, funny that you should mention the popcorn books is an equivalent for reading for fun because that's not how I see it. The, the way that I see that is that you're reading something without the intent of sort of like breaking it down in mind. There, there are two very different ways you can read a book. You can either read it critically, where you are analyzing the characters, the setting, the scene, the motivations, everything. And then there's just something I've been working on sort of to attempt to enjoy things a lot more is just to switch off the brain and let the story happen. You you do run into your inevitable like misplaced semicolons or commas or whatever, but none of that's tra detracting from your enjoyment of the story, provided it's not too uh, intense. I don't think there has to be a difference. I think you don't, and really you shouldn't be analyzing every single word of every single text you read. What I try to do is just read the story, enjoy the story, and then when it's done... I will sit and if I want analyze, go, okay, that worked well, this didn't. Unless the story really juts out bad, and I'm not talking about punctuation marks, which will just kind of jar me. But like, unless I'm like screaming at a character going, no, that's the stupidest thing that you would ever do, or something really doesn't make sense in a story, 
Or the reverse, where it's like, wow, this is really getting good. I see no reason to start going, well, this character's motivation could be better, and this motivation could be done, and this scene doesn't work. Because I'm not editing that story. I'm just trying to read the story. Well, for I was just reading um, book five of McDresden Files, wow. and um, I was about 40% through and I had to, I stopped because I was like, holy crap, like, why is this amping me up so much? And when I had that thought, I went back. That was at what point, after reading for fun, that I went back and said, okay, well, why am I feeling this way? What, you know, what did he do to make me feel the emotions that I'm feeling? Which, of course, led to female betrayal and blah, 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 and that's why, but. It gave me a certain insight as to certain things he had done. I wasn't consciously looking at it at the time. I'm sure if I went back and reread it as more of an analyzing mode, I guess, mm. I could probably find more specifics. But uh, more, more to your point, Ocean, there's like what, what you described to me sounds like read a story for fun, and then if you are editing it or if you're trying to break it down for the sake of figuring out what you can do differently you're looking at it differently from then when you're just reading the story for fun. I tend to read stories twice if I intend to actually review them for the sake of reading the story for fun, see how it flows, and then reading the story critically, seeing where a lot of the stuff breaks down. I can understand that. I just don't think there's any reason to read a story critically the first time, unless you're the editor. Um, well, I, I will I will <laughs> grant you that. I don't think there's any real reason to read a story critically the you're, first you're time. You're just going to rack your because brain you, and start to go into this, I could have done it better it's, mentality, it's which sort is of not like, good. It's sort of like going into a game uh, with like the the manual in hand, like the uh, the walkthrough. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you're not really playing it for fun. You're just sort of... At this point, you're just kind of going along. You're going through the motions. You're going, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong. No, just enjoy it first edit later or like, review later if i'm planning on reviewing i'll try to make some mental notes as i go along like this was something really good or this again mm -hmm. where are those points that really jarred me out or yeah. jarred me in we're also not really talking about editing here this this no, is but about you guys were stumbling on semicolons it, so. true 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 <laughs> but, but yeah no like there there is definitely a point where you can sit and read and critically analyze everything you're reading as you read it but i think there's very little point to doing that Unless you are going to be editing this story for someone, or it's your own story, or as some sort of editing exercise. Otherwise, I feel it's almost better to just enjoy the story, try to get lost in it as best you can, make mental notes of things. Um, but I think more enjoy the ride, and then at the end, just kind of like nobody likes talking in the movies, even though I'll do it anyways. But no, you don't want. No. Doesn't matter. What was it? What was it? I was just. I find I have to actually work to turn on the analytical part of me because I'm so used to just picking up a book and blowing through it. Um, more to go back to what Voice was saying earlier with the popcorn books is, to me, a popcorn book is something that I can just read and I don't have to retain um, specific information. Like, I don't have to remember this character's name because they're not going to come up as a plot point later. I don't have to remember who killed this character because it's not going to be an important item later on. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I picked up a book that I thought was popcorn fiction, and it turns out I have to remember people, and, and, and it, I picked up book 15, and now I've got every book but two of them. Kind of laughing at myself for that one. Well, like, for me, for when it comes to, like, quote-unquote popcorn fiction, if I pick up anything by James Axler, which is an action series, to me, that's very popcorn. I will sit there and devour that book in an hour to two hours, and it's because I don't really have to do much when I read it. I just, I know what I'm getting into. I know what I'm doing. Um, a lot of paranormal books started to be like that until it became like a major genre. And then I started paying more and more attention critically as to what was going on, how they were doing certain elements, and um, certain things like that. Actually, one of the things I find most fascinating about the paranormal genre is the amount of people who write first person versus third person, because it's heavily skewed to first person. Probably in the sense that they're trying to immerse you in the danger. Yeah. Well, I also think it's... Well, this goes back to one of our previous conversations where it's... Um, 
first person versus third person point of view, which is easier to write. Uh, so, what are the kinds of things we should be reading, reading when we are, you know, looking to read for the sake of either reading or for the sake of so why should we read and read lots? No, this says what should you read. I don't know. But, and then it says why afterwards. What and why should you read? Why? Uh, I'm, I'm not reading off exactly. I'm just, yeah. Well, I'm just, I, I figure these are good headlines to start with. Okay. I like the top sellers for the genre you like. Because... They're top genres for a reason, and it gives you a certain understanding as to what, you know, do you enjoy why they're the top ones, or do you think it's utter bupkis? When Stephen King released Revival, I was like, oh, this has Lovecraftian themes to it, this is going to be awesome cosmic horror, this is going to be great. I read it, and it's like, okay, just like all of King's works, it's very, very, very heavy and very, very good on the character development and things on this person's life. Gets to the end, and the entire novel pretty much ends up resolving itself in the last less than 10% of the book. And the big Lovecraftian moment was a piece of shit. And I was disappointed, and I was just like here's all these people saying that this is going to be some massive brain frying like revelation and no it was extremely stupid and from a horror aspect it was very 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 tame and very very unoriginal but why is king such a famous you know popular writer well it's because he knows how to write characters very well and that's what this book had in spades See, interesting point about the the top sellers. <clears throat> well, I mean, if you like the genre already, then sure, odds are you are going to like those very popular books. They seem to strike a chord that is very positively received by people who already enjoy that genre. I think, though, as somebody who maybe doesn't enjoy those genres, would probably be very bored. Uh, because, what do you mean? Because the... The common tropes and things that will typically happen in, you know, this part of fiction might not resonate the same way with somebody who's coming from the outside. If you are coming in from outside the, from outside a particular genre, mm -hmm. and you attempt to read, say, like a best-selling book, like say you don't like fantasy oh, okay. and you decide to read Harry Potter, yeah, you are going to probably hate Harry Potter because you are not resonating with the similar, like with the, all of the tropes of the genre that most fantasy readers will like. Yeah, but if you're going to read a fantasy, you should probably read one of the better quote-unquote fantasies, which are generally the ones that have been sold. And something like Harry Potter has been sold to people who aren't even big on fantasy. It's reached past that genre, I believe. And this is one of the this is this is both the pros and the cons right there in that one example or you know. Yeah, I feel like both are completely possible. And it is, because like, the thing is, is, if you read the first Harry Potter and you hate fantasy, magic, and all, and you go, wow, I really want to read more of this, why, you know, because then you're able to say, well, why did I enjoy Harry Potter? And as a writer, you can look at it and go, here's a book in a genre I absolutely don't like. Sci-fi, boring. Why, why do I want to read more of it? What is it about this story that entices me? Because if you can take that and put it into the genre you enjoy, that's going to make your writing that much more powerful and interesting. But the reason that the top sellers are top sellers is a reason. There's They've done something right that has attracted other people. So it's quite possible. Like As much as you... Because everyone hates to, to bang on Twilight and Fifty Shades, there's something there that caught on and sometimes you read it there, like you even just said you read a you read a top bestseller to see why there's top sellers for the genre and then there are top sellers like of all time sort of things but i do still think that there are a lot of very popular books or series that fall flat for people that aren't in the genre because 
they don't understand what the formula is, they don't get it. Or even just the base draw of said genre. Okay, but yes. if you're coming as an author who has a genre they want to write for, you should probably read the top but, books in that genre. But either way, the experience is still valuable because then you get to take this book and say, here's what I do like, here's what I don't like. Now, if, the, if you want to write erotica, you should probably read Fifty Shades. And on the as tip, much as you're going to hate. Arguable. I'm gonna, I, no, maybe I, I'll roll inside with this one that's arguable. It's okay, not well, a good when erotica. You, when your book sells market. as many books like, as their books... Like, the, it's done something to sell that many books. It has done something. You probably want to know what that something is because you, you may hate the book, but there's maybe something you could learn to sell your book. Let's and if you're going to throw that out just because it's Fifty Shades, then you're probably throwing away information that could help you. I think I'm going to go with throwing away information for 500, Bob, because there's no way you're ever going to convince me to read Fifty Shades of Grey after the multiple experts I've seen online of just her writing her writing there, there doesn't matter it's because it's already sold more books than any there, other there are several moral reasons that someone might choose not to read 50 shades so there then is don't that read one 50 well. shades read that's the other big erotica but you have to realize that these have done something yeah. to be successful i would rather read yeah. twilight over than 50 read shades twilight. Just on but the, but my the object isn't to, i'm not trying to tell you to read one specific book i'm trying to tell you to read Something that is actually done well because it has done something well, to sell well. Which see, I, I, I was responding specifically to you saying that we should read Fifty Shades of Grey because mm -hmm. it's well, popular. Because I'm, I'm going to go to the Twilight, the other example on this. I didn't think I would enjoy Twilight. I started reading Twilight, and the first thing I picked up was God Bell Bella, Bella is it Bella? It's Bella. Bella, man, she is a whiny, whiny girl. Man, she complains about everything. Holy crap, this is every teenage girl I've ever encountered. Now, Epiphany, I understand the, why they're relating to well, her so a, a lot of what people were saying makes Twilight so relatable is that Bella is a blank slate. People get to insert their own character in Bella's place to be fawned over by vampires and werewolves and God knows what else happens. It's a fancier Harlequin romance. Yeah, like people have the opportunity to insert themselves into that fantasy, and because Bella is so plain, that's oddly what makes her appealing. Apparently, I would have had no no idea. Like there's there's obviously value in figuring out what's popular. Now, on that note, the same thing I would say also applies to classics in the genre that you're looking to write. Read the classics. It's really hard to you know, not or to write fantasy and not have read Lord of the Rings. As much of a drag as that can be, and as much of a slog of words that can be, it's still worth reading just for the sake of it's a cultural phenomenon and it is successful for a reason. And this sort of goes back to the point you were talking about with the um, the two kids that had their fantasy novels like half written. Yeah. If you don't read these older stories, these newer stories, the bestsellers, whatever, and you don't have that in mind when you're trying to write your story, there's a very high chance you're going to run into like one of the most cliched kind of storyline, one chosen hero kind of stories ever. Like, I know I did it when I was just learning to write. <clears throat> I probably hadn't read most of the stories that I should have to be that aware of those kinds of stories. And so what did I do? I wrote some of the most predictable trash ever. Like, knowing what stories existed before yours is important to know where your own story should be going. Yeah if you would like it to be positively received by other people. Understand the foundations. At the same time, don't read only the classics. No. Because there's a reason we don't write the classics anymore. <laughs> they don't hold, oh, they don't hold yeah. up against the tides of time, no. Well, they, they hold up against time as they, they something hold, from that time period. Yes. But if you tried to publish it now... They, they hold up as the literary monoliths yeah. that they currently exist if, as. If you publish the Canterbury t Tales right now... Everyone would kind of look at you going, like, do you speak English? See, a, a good example of that would be trying to publish something like Sherlock Holmes, the original now, because they, they allude to so much, but they never actually give you enough to try and figure well, out the mystery, because suddenly well, it's, oh, there was this thing that 
was the problem, and we fixed it out right now. It's like watching Angela Lansbury with half the series. I, going. I'm going to use an example. Tarl can speak plenty too, and just look at Lovecraft. Yeah, how persecuted and like set on fire would you be if you tried to write like Lovecraft today? Like horror. Oh Red God, Hook. like his cat. Like, well, had, yes. was, was it the dog named Mr. N or something like no, that? No, it was the cat. The cat. The cat. Okay. It was the cat. N-word. Man. Man. Like, there's there's Little stuff man. that he's written that would still be good today. But there's things like Horror at Red Hook, which is his take on a um, detective novel. And you immediately start it off, and it is like, here's Red Hook, and let's bash on all the immigrants. Here we go. You know, Huckleberry Finn, Shakespeare, like... Well, and... You know, things like, you know, Ready Player One or whatever. Like, these are all timeless classics, but would never well, exist if they came out today. Ready Player One is just... It's it's 80s references. It's, it's valid to people who grew up in the 80s or know something of the 80s. In 10 years... People are going to read it and be, what the hell are they talking about? What's a Coleco? What's this, you know? Well, the, I don't even know what a Coleco the, is the, right the, now. Curse of, the curse oh. of stories that put themselves in the future is that they will always be irrelevant <laughs> by the time that time comes. Except for, oddly, Back to the Future, which is irrelevant <laughs> for a different reason. <laughs> but... Entertaining, nonetheless. Yes. To just do a final thing... Well, Oh, just go. I'm going to do it then. No. <laughs> um, like, another reason you want to read your genre is because you want to learn your genre. Right? Learn what the tropes are. Learn what people expect. What kind of mood you expect. Right? Like, when I did the noir anthology, a lot of people expect noir just to be mystery. But it's not mystery. It has mysterious elements. There's usually sometimes a mystery. But there doesn't need to be a mystery in a noir story. It's about the characters with their inner struggles and turmoils and watching people be pushed against the, br the brink, which is what I tried to put into the anthology. But it took me a little while of reading more noir. Like, I always knew I liked noir, but when you read it and realize, like, why do I like this? Why isn't this just a mystery? And delving deeper, you actually go, oh, like, look, this is the, the core of what makes that genre. This is, this is what makes it different from the others. This is what elements it borrows from others. And th that's just one genre. Like, I'm sure you could go into it about horror, about why it's just not spooky guys jumping out of closets. Well, it's, it's like the sci-fi horror where everyone was like, well, how many stories can you write for science fiction So it's just horror? aliens, just... right, on a ship? And right? That's so, all sci-fi horror and, is, right? In the selections, I've got everything from friggin', you know, Love Slaves to Time Travel, where paradoxes or dimensional paradoxes, and it's just like, okay, there is so much you can do. It's like how, you know, steampunk isn't just brass and gears. <laughs> but but I put a funky lens in there. Yeah. The engine is this, quite the outspeed. This it's guy has a monocle, right? and this is arguably oh. maybe powered by steam. Oh. <laughs> my favorite is it's, it's steampunk. Here's my gear contraption. Well, it, it's my wind-up doll. There's the whole, like, just throw some gears on it and call it steampunk song. Yeah. Like, that... That sounds like a lot of people's steampunk costumes. If, if you don't know about the genre, it's going to be very hard to write about it well. I know we've gone into this deeper, I think, on, a, on our Tropes podcast where we talked about, like, you know, the yeah. setting can be a genre, but the story isn't and stuff like that, but... I think another good thing to consider when it comes to, like, what you're reading is reading the works of your peers. You're a writer. Hopefully you have some writing friends and people that are on your level. And getting to read their works is sort of a good indicator for, you know, where you need to improve. It's a lot more tangible than reading, say, something like Lord of the Rings or... Stephen King or anything like that. It's very hard to compare yourselves to these people. One, you've never met them. Two, they're famous. And they're just not at the same point in your writing career as you. So reading people that give you sort of a basis for comparison for what your writing should be is also very valuable. Um, one of the other things, too, is um, ask your peers what books they like and mm. read those. Um, especially if they're like-minded peers. Like, if either of you came to me and said, hey, I read this book, 
much like Ocean has done a number We've of times. We've already done this. I, I've I read like, some. Carl, you should read this. I've read some awesome books at the recommendation of my peers. And it's, and I mean, and I've had people approach me on Twitter and go, "Hey, I want to read Lovecraft. What should I read?" And it's it will help you filter through a all the crap, but also kind of give you an idea of these are what your readers are reading. So, you know, and this is kind of the same way as the bestsellers. You're kind of finding out what's successful and what's not successful on such. Also recommend books, books for other people. <laughs> yes. Do it the other way, too. Which is kind of where we... And when they tell you they don't have time, you tell them to shut up and put it on their pile. <laughs> <laughs> and make time. Well, it's like one of my uh, co-workers listens to audio books when he's out in the back making samples and... Part of me is like, oh, you're you're robbing yourself the reading experience. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I just finished this book, and this is what I thought. And I'm just like, wow, you're actually taking away a fair amount of it. Yep. Well, that could lead into, <laughs> you know, instead of getting a... <laughs> Nervous energy much? Mm-hmm. And the good lead from instead of, uh, you know, just outright asking your friends for suggestions on what they can read, it's not hard to pop onto Goodreads, uh, search out the genre you're looking for, and then, hey, read reviews that we try to encourage people to write. Hell, you could go on Amazon, click on a book you like. The people who bought this book also like what you take mm -hmm. away after you've read something. What if you've read something that everyone loves? Say, say everyone's like, Harry Potter's great. You've never read it, and you read the first book, and you'll go, like, I don't get it. Like, that was not enjoyable at all. What should you do? I would probably... I, I Reviews! Would pro I would probably... Well, I would review it. And in reviewing, that would help me to understand why I didn't like the book. Um, or I would read reviews that gave it... <coughs> A low review to see um, why if maybe when they explain why they didn't enjoy it what the reasons were because um, to kind of go on the same page but slightly reversed is I just finished uh, Dark Disciple which is one of the new Star Wars canon books I loved it five stars one of the first five stars I've read this year absolutely loved the characters like I went in hating one of the characters and not really just sort of being a minor fan of the other one. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, I actually like both characters a lot. I really liked how this story went. And then I went out and started reading reviews, and you had, like, the five-star reviews, and then you had a whole bunch of one-star reviews. And I was like, well, why do people hate this book so much? And, I mean, you had the people who were like, Disney's wrecking the stories, blah, 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 and ignored the fact that these were based off of scripts for the TV show written by George Lucas's daughter. Um, but you had people who were like very valid points for like, well, I didn't like it because this, or the most valid one of all of them is it's Jedi versus Sith. And then as soon as Jedi and Sith start fighting, that's when the philosophical banter starts and that's boring because it's being done so often. And I agree. I still enjoyed the book and when I was reading it, I didn't pick up on that. But having read that review, I kind of went back and thought, hmm, they have a very valid point. So same thing goes for when you read something you don't enjoy, and it's like, well, I'm going to read these five-star reviews and see why people enjoyed it. Well, okay, why didn't I feel the same way? I would definitely do the same where after I'll read something, um, I'm interested in knowing more, reviewing it myself. I go back and see what other people have said and try to match it up. And sometimes they'll say the point and I'll disagree, or they'll say a point and I will agree. It, it, it does make me... I, I do like to go, because there are the times where I read something and I go, uh, okay. Like, I remember with Furry Future, there were some stories that people were just like, this is amazing, and I kind of read it and went, eh, I don't know, it's, it's good, it's fine. And then stories where people are like, I couldn't even finish this story, and I'm like, this is, I love this story, like, I don't understand why you couldn't finish it. So, <coughs> but it's, it's definitely interesting to take that and go, Okay, maybe I can understand, maybe you felt this, well, I felt that, you know, and then, you know, maybe you felt it was too long, well, I thought it was fine, but you can take that and then 
put it back into your own work. Like, is this does this relate to that story? Was it too long? I really liked how this person built their scene up. Can I take points from that and try to integrate them into my own, like using those minuscule uh, details they use to define the environment around them and such like that? Well, there's been points where I've read something and I'm like, that is the most beautiful description. Um, and I think I've quoted this. There's one by um, an author, Caitlin, I can't remember her last name, but she writes Lovecraftian type stuff. That's one of those ones where people absolutely loved it, and I came away from it and went, I have no effing idea what happened. And I had to Google it to see if, was I missing something? Like, read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia and was like, okay, no one seems to understand what happened. Or the ones where it's like, <coughs> oh, that's that's what that was? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. One of the first lines of it is, one of the characters looks over and sees the, one of the main characters and this girl with absinthe colored hair. And I went, that is an absolutely gorgeous description. Ring. And I was like, right then and there, you know, you've got the color, the tech, like just everything about it, absolutely amazing. And I was, and that stuck with me. The rest of the book, not so much. And it's just, that's, it's like, Scarlet Gospels I just read when they're describing demons and I'm like oh it's just Clive Barker doing his stupid this stupid demon stupid demons and then there's one demon where her private parts went up from below all the way up to her forehead and it was basically just one giant and I was just like now that's creative that's <laughs> like the demonic now that's a story now that's something I could really hug myself into honey tonight we're going to we're going shopping. Get the clothespins. Get the latex paint. <laughs> anyway, uh, like even it's recently, like, I read a short story that many other and I, I told some people like, "Oh, I just read this story," and they're like, "Oh, I remember that story. It was really good." And I'm like, "Why was it good? I'm confused. A bunch of other people have said it was good, and I'm confused because you know I found this clunky and the scene transitions were really weird to me, and how this this item in it didn't really make sense to me." And unfortunately, all the people that have read it apparently read it like two years ago, and they're like, I don't remember. <laughs> so I have to make you guys read it so I can ask now. But Makes sense. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, why do people like this, and why am I not one of those people? <laughs> but in reading it, you have a better understanding, right? Now, one of the things that we kind of mentioned on our, I put down, and it kind of sparked a bit of a pre-podcast conversation was reading your own work as in work that you've either done long ago or work that you've published in say an anthology or a novel and going back and reading your own work um, as people who longtime listeners ha will know I have a tendency of not reading the anthologies I'm in because I just don't want to read an anthology that my story's in I have been working at breaking that, and I have read a couple anthologies that have had my stories in them. And Wait, you don't do that? I don't. I don't Why? read. It's, it's just something... You can read all the stories but yours. Well, I know. <laughs> but I feel as if I should read my own, because I'm also curious as to how I've grown. Like in... Um, uh, oh... Bellow of the Bone, yeah, Bellows of the Bone Box, Steampunk Horror. That's one of the anthologies I read. And I came away from it after reading my story going, holy crap, I could have done this so much better. And I mean, and it shows me how much I've personally grown. Um, could I write it better now? Of course. I've, you know, I'm a far better writer than I was when that was first done two some odd years ago. Or three at this point. Um, same reason we all hate editing stories that we handed in years ago. It's just a case of, can we do better? Well, of course, we are better. But it also kind of gives me an insight to my own techniques and maybe certain things that I'm maybe not necessarily aware of. And it kind of makes me aware of, well, I have a tendency of using this technique or I have a tendency of doing this. It's just kind of, I find it very insightful. <clears throat> this is sort of similar to letting your stories sit for a couple months, like a month or so, just to let yourself to have, have a chance to 
become detached from the story before you really start ripping into it. <clears throat> I see it more of as a matter of perspective than any sort of grand insight. Because if you read something that you've written last year or even like six months ago, you're going to see it under a very different light. <clears throat> and never was that more apparent to me than my altered state submission when I read the story and it was disjointed, it was bad, there were plenty of plot holes, and there were just things I really didn't like about it. It took a long time to bring that story back up. Well, it's like and my... It, sorry. You know, it, it just sort of made me consider, I'm like, I really wasn't that good back when. So <clears throat> it's like when I had to do my edits for my uh, New Tales of the Old One. I mean, it was my second published work. And it was getting republished, and it was like, oh yeah, here you go. Yeah, this part where you switched to uh, present tense instead of past tense. I really like how you did that there. We're going to italicize all of that. And I went, that was not intentional. That was legitimately an error on my Re part. Repeat after me. Glad I thought of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was very much a, I read it and went, I'm going to rewrite parts of this because I have a better understanding of how I should have put the story together now whoa, I just made my computer do something. I just don't find it super productive. I mean, you can do it for nostalgia factor, or you go... Because there's times where I've read stuff that I wrote like years ago, and I kind of read that, and I'm like, did I actually write that? That's really good. I couldn't have written that. That was too good. That's like something someone good would have written. You know, that kind of mentality. And then there's the other times where you read something and go like, oh my goodness, look at all these horrible mistakes. But my issue is I'm not learning from that because I already know, I've already learned clearly that I've learned this stuff. Otherwise, I'm not, I wouldn't be looking at it going, these are mistakes. So I don't know how I'm going to learn as much from reading my old stuff. Sometimes I get a little embarrassed reading my old stuff. Oh yeah, like there's stuff, like like they said, like when you put in a story, it does the editing, and then it gets published quite a while later, and then you read it, and you're like, Ooh, uh, I've, I've, I've almost, I'm glad to see I've improved. I've <laughs> almost never read something and been like, man, that was good. <laughs> like, if it's been some of my yeah, older work. At most, it's like one paragraph, you're like, that was really good. Some, the rest of it was that, just yeah, garbage that does with happen. that I'm paragraph. Like, I'm like, that line is really good. I can still be proud of this paragraph. I'm going to take this and <laughs> yeah. put it somewhere good. <laughs> well, it, like today, when, when I had, I realized I had some ideas for another story one day, and I'd forgotten it, remembered again, so I quickly wrote it down. I was looking through the other things I had put in there, and I had a quote. I'm like, that's a really good quote. I couldn't have thought that up on my own. What is this quote from? And I tried to Google and search it. I can't find what it was. So I'm like, did I really come up with that? <laughs> I hope so, because I want to use that. But I'm afraid <laughs> that I copied it from somewhere, and now I'll be like plagiarizing <laughs> if I use this quote ever. It, if you if you can't find it by googling, I think you're okay. I, that's what I'm going along, but I'm just scared now if I ever use it. Well, it's like that. What happened at um, Voice's birthday there with Trick? I like my men like I like my wine. <laughs> Locked up in a closet in the basement, waiting for me to want them. Oh, it's like I like and my I've never heard like that I like before. my women ground up and in the freezer. Yeah, ground up in the freezer. <laughs> horrible. Yeah, and, it was, and my girlfriend asked me, well, where did that come from? I'm like, I don't know, my brain? Because usually I say I like my men like I like my wine, sweet white and German. But <laughs> in the basement in a closet waiting is kind of awesome. <laughs> but I tried to Google it to see if it was like out of a movie or something, and I couldn't find it. When it, We kind of meant to touch on this uh, a bit, but reading reviews... Um, we've already touched on previous podcasts about reading reviews that people have written of your works, whether or not they are good to do. Um, we kind of, I think we're all here genuinely, genuinely on the don't read reviews of your works standpoint. What? <clears throat> like reading. You read reviews of your work? Of your work. Like, if someone reviews your anthology or your short story or your novel... Oh, I read all those reviews. So do I, I. I read my reviews against my own advice. <clears throat> I, but I, I, I like to see what people say about my stuff. I mean... Well, it was, I like to see what it, people say good it, things about it. It's, it's another bit of information, and if 
you know, somebody comments on the Dragon Ball Z fighting scene from my uh, pulp story, then, well, I mean, so be it. Well, it was Ocean. I was talking about how I was doing some of the stories or why I had rejected or accepted certain stories in the horror sci-fi. And he's just like, wow, you really took what Watt said to heart. And I was like, but the way you worded it, I didn't understand. And I was like, what's he talking about? And I almost texted you back going like, what are you talking about? And then I, it took me about half an hour to think back and go, right, that review about of how, that yeah, in places. There's some horror stories that don't have agency. And you're yeah. just like, yeah, this one's just things happen, which is eh. And then you're talking about like, yeah, I didn't like this story because things just happened. And I'm like, yeah. so long as the, re the review summarizes my story correctly and gets the names correct, then I'm okay. But now on that thing, reading other people's reviews, as I kind of mentioned reading um when you find a book that you either enjoy or don't enjoy and everyone else is exact opposite of you reading reviews can kind of help you kind of um figure out why you feel the way you do or you know maybe figure out well maybe everyone loves what you actually hate but i think oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like reading and in some cases it's well, one of the main cases I've seen is that, again, we've talked about, like, plot and character-driven stories, and I lean a little more to the plot-based, and so the stories I write are generally a little more plot-based, and some people are like, eh, characters, right? And then yeah. I, they'll read a story, and they're like, characters were great, and I'll read it and be like, this plot was crap, like, nothing, it didn't make sense, <laughs> <sighs> or nothing happens, and so... That's that's definitely a disagreement where you'll see people, but then it's also good to read character. Like for me, I need to read more character-driven stories and see what what do people like about these? How do they move along? How can I integrate that and maybe shift my stories a little more into the middle? I just finished um, one of Tor's new novellas that they're selling for relatively cheap, and it was about 76 pages. And I got it for, I think, like five bucks. And it was Lovecraft. It was post um, Shadow Over Innsmouth. And I finished it and I just kind of sat there and was like, okay, this wasn't that good. What's going on? So I went and started reading the reviews because they were all like four or five star reviews and people are, this is amazing. This is post, you know, Innsmouth and it's bringing in all the camps that we put the Japanese in and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine and all. Like, atmospherically-wise, this was a great book, but nothing happened. There's no climax. There's no ultimate confrontation. It's just everything happens in this subtle, quiet way at the end, and that's it. And I was just like, okay, well, you know, I'll write, write, write my review, and it seems everyone's genuinely excited about all these like small references to real world events and the fact that it's post Lovecraft told from one of his monstrous point of views. But all in all, nothing happened. And I was like, is it because I like action and I want there to be some kind of climax? No, because again, there was no climax to this book because the climax happened essentially off screen. This is why I'm glad we were able to identify... Because it's easier when we talk about the plot again. Back to plot and character, where like it's very easy to see what happens when the plot is so far pushed onto that side. All you have is you know, your your stupid action movies where rah shoot guns boom done right. Yeah. But it's a lot harder to think about what happens when you have a, a character driven story pushed to that end of the spectrum because everyone's like, well, you just have a good story, right? Because characters would talk and things would happen. But then you realize like, but nothing actually happens. There's no plot. It's just something happens with a person and maybe you get a little bit more into their life or something. And a lot of the time... And I actually just had this conversation with, with a friend last week where we talked about one of the stories in Roar, I believe. And we're just like... They were like, I read it and I didn't understand. And so I quickly grabbed my copy, read it, and then you get to the last... You're reading and you're going, oh, the story's getting good. And then you turn the page, you're like, wait, that's the last page? What? That? What? <laughs> Hmm. But that's when you want to, you know, go back to reading reviews and going like, I didn't really enjoy this. What did, how did other people enjoy this? And I think actually another good example of that is Summerhill, right? Mm -hmm. We all read it. We enjoyed it. We didn't find it 
as fantastic as other people did, right? We were a little confused. We're like, okay, what what did these and people who gave it five stars? What did they see that we didn't see? Right? Like there there was no point at which we read that book and said this is a bad book. No, either. no. We read it when this is a great book, but yeah, there's we we praised a lot it for of, what we liked in it. There's a lot of little things. Yeah, that it was very have, much a case of like as we're doing it, where we're like. <laughs> This is not a bad book. We really like this book, and we, still and, we, and, we it. and we keep like kept like okay. There's this thing that happens, but we really like this. But this thing, and we kept yeah. kind of reiterating, you know, this was a good book. However, well, compared to the, the five the, the, star the reviewers, reviews, the reviewers typically like the critical ones typically get to be the bad guys because you you read something and then you consider these things are really good. But what am I reviewing this book for? If not to go, these were the good parts, but these were also the bad parts. And you, you get to sort of go down the list, figure out what those are, figure out why you do or don't like the book. And then, you know, some other very gracious people have done this work for you. That if you want to figure out why other people like this book that you read that you didn't, you can go and check it out. That's why I think there needs to be, I guess, more reviews on anthropomorphic work. Mm-hmm. Just because I think... Yeah, that's why a lot of people cry out for it, right? Yeah. We want more feedback. We want to, like, as the authors want to know if they did good or not. Um, and, you know, there's... A lot of people don't know what to buy out there and complain that there's nothing good out there. Well, there's reviews that will tell you otherwise. But yeah. that, again, goes back to another way that you can use reviews to help analyze what you've read. You can... Again, you're... you're if you're if Which is another good reason to review right because you get to take back what you read maybe if you made notes maybe you go back and read it a second time maybe you just remember the highs and lows of the book but you can take that and go well i really like this character because x and the story didn't do this for me because y and as long as you're going thinking about it in your terms like what worked for you what didn't work for you what surprised you and brought something new to light in in fiction for you and not only do you get to write those down for yourself, but you get to share them with others. And as we just discussed, we we enjoy reading other reviews of things mm-hmm. we've read because it's almost a non-confrontational way or just an indirect way of sharing, talking about a book without talking yeah. you know, with, with complete strangers that you're never going to see. Otherwise, if we read a book, we're probably going to talk about it. But it's a, one way that you can discuss ideas of it is through a review. Yeah, and there's been reviews on, especially Goodreads, where I've read the review and then I've commented and said, you know, finally, someone who sees it from the same point I do. I wholeheartedly agree. And there was one book I picked up called The Replacement, and I read the, I unfortunately read the first two five-star reviews and went, oh, this looks like it's a really good book. It's about changing things and whatnot. What I didn't read was like the 60-some-odd bad reviews that came afterwards, and there was one that just sat there and just put out everything. And I commented and I said, you know, I really wish I had read your review before I picked up this book because I'm this percentage into the book and already I am seeing everything that you've talked about and I just want to stop. And I did. I stopped. Well, even um, when I've discussed people who are reading my stories, they're like, I don't know if this felt right and something. and. You're almost like, I want to discuss this with you, but let's read the rest of the, read the whole story, and then we can discuss as a whole, you know, and there's been a few people as they've read through, like, the Inhuman Acts anthology, uh, after every story they like to chat with me about each piece, which I really like because that's good feedback. Sometimes they'll say something and I can give a little more insight into why that is, or uh, an editing choice I had made, and, mm-hmm. and get their feedback on it, it's... Again, like reading helps everybody. Like we're writing because we want to be read. Reading so why shouldn't we be reading other people's stuff as well? Yeah. Right. And I mean that comes down especially in the community that we have where yeah, it's very much a case of we depend on everyone else's work. Yeah, we depend on you know, we like to work with them. We depend our stuff depends on their interest and their stuff depends on our interest, so I still, though, enjoy uh, listening to Ash rant about people who don't read at every panel he does. If you've not seen it, please go to his panels. <laughs> yeah, it is quite entertaining. It, it's a fairly decent hot topic to have because well, there's, if you well, fancy yourself a writer, you really should be reading. Well, Especially when you know, you're know you trying to take in a lesson or a lecture or a panel or just discuss something 
And the person's like, well, in this book, this happens. And it's like, what do you mean no one's read that book? What do you mean none of you have read? How, do you, how are we supposed to discuss topics and enlighten ourselves and have discussions about advancing our medium when no one even knows the medium? Yeah. Well, well that's, it's like going to a panel and being like, I don't really listen. I don't have time for it. Well, we've gone to panels where someone has made a mention about the fact they don't read, and we always kind of do the sidelong, like, what? Look between oh, us. Please, like, tell, tell us why. Yeah. No, not Willy Wonka meme. <laughs> just, again? Just, you, you can leave then. You clearly don't need anything yeah, here. I think every panel should just start with, okay, who doesn't read here? And then any hands please, that go, please. be like, okay, cool. so there's you the door. You can come back when you've read. Like, you need please, to start with the basics. Please read, like, Bonfire the Vanities or something and come back later. <laughs> there's a dealer's den over there. Hopefully they're selling yes. literature. Please, Pick one up. Please buy come many back. of the Fur Planet we'll merchandise. We'll have a book review. <laughs> then we can discuss characters and plot. Hell, read a comic book. I don't care. Just read something. And if you're not reading something because you say you don't have time, well, then you should make time. Then you're a bold-faced it's, it's very interesting, the fact that Pretty much every electronic device now has a reading app on it. Guess what? I forgot my Kobo at home. Guess what's yeah. on my phone? And people, and people still find excuses not to read. Like th There's nothing that is preventing you from reading except for your inability to schedule time. No, I, I've found like the best for me is usually like half an hour before bed I try to set aside so I can read before... And it usually sometimes helps me sleep. I, the story's really boring. That's our schedule. <laughs> I, I really miss transit for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's our schedule is we shower at a certain time, we're done showering by a certain time, and then from that point to bed, it's reading. Where we de-stress, we watch the cats run around like morons, we kick each other, we read, we go to bed. They've also recommended you're not supposed to use electronic devices, so even real books are very good for right before bed. It's actually what I try to stick to. Is There's also studies that say bed. you're not supposed to read before bed. So. There's also studies that say you're not supposed it's to use your bed for anything but sex and sleep. That way you're not confusing your body. Yeah, your body does That's That one I think think of, so. And that one I would believe too. But I also will lay on just about any surface and read. So I don't see how me with an inverted position re reading on a couch is any different than me in an inverted position on the floor reading. You're supposed to read like this. And the fuck I do. <laughs> like you're at church reading the hymnals. Am I, am I going to cross my legs at my because ankles too? Because reading is a perfectly natural response to like literally anything. <laughs> but yeah, go read. Chimps don't read like this. Go read something that you like. Go read something that you don't think you would like. Go read anything. You want to learn about something? Go read about it. What's the... What's the it's a book. It's a book. It's a book. <laughs> Like, read fiction. Read nonfiction. Like, read something you love. Read, read something talk you to hate. Someone and ask them what you should read. They'll probably have a recommendation. Have Go it. to a library. Like, you don't even have money as an excuse as to why you can't read books. I was gonna say one of the most interesting posts I ever did on uh, Twitter was about how I don't like Ed and Lorraine uh, Warren, the exorcists, exorcists, and they're doing because Conjuring Two is coming out. And all the people who were like, no, I hate them too. And it seems like most of them have either seen interviews or read their books. And it's just like, yeah, do you know why people don't like them? Because they come across as hugely egotistical. And it's just like, guess what? People don't like people with egos. They also said the Amityville Horror was real. When it's now pretty much universally done as a fake. But I won't get into this on the podcast. I don't know if I'm more excited to go write or read now. I'm excited to go home and read. I'm excited to do both. Yeah. Because I haven't done either for a while. Yeah. Why yeah. don't you make time? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to listen to that answer. Um, you, you said yourself there is no answer. There's no excuse. There are times <laughs> I, where, I, yes, I during have, life... I have you, excuses. Yeah, no, during, there are times during life where... Yeah. It is extremely hard to do writing and or... Uh, I've been coming reading. into work an hour early like for like the past three days in a row and have been moving somebody for the past two weeks. Yes. No, there's always valid reasons. Just don't let them get the best of you. But if they extend past this week, then I'm bullshitting. Shitbullying. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please write to us at podcast at bangsandfonts.com. You can visit our website. you wanted the bangsandfonts at gmail. 
I don't care anymore. And DM us on Fangs and Fonts. DM us on Fangs and Fonts? <laughs> DM us on Twitter, <laughs> at Fangs and Fonts, Facebook.com slash Fangs and Fonts, Facebook.com. Nope. You said Facebook twice. <laughs> yeah, I already I knew that. You. Outro, outro, outro. Fangsandfonts.com. Uh, and maybe I run should... the Facebook, so I do try to answer the questions. Maybe we should start posting like our Twitter our RSS feed as well, which I also need to like just completely I, fucking. I abolish. have our RSS feed in I, case I, we ever need to post it, but we should post it somewhere. I'm I'm considering completely remaking the RSS feed because I don't know how to fucking fix I'm it. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I still want the okay. website completely. Remade. So I also want that too. <laughs> I, I looked we at want like, a lot of things. It, a lot of stuff has changed, and I hate the website again. So we, we need to make sure that we're reading more than redoing things. Uh, also, the raw writing retreat is still open for applications, and I've already sent in mine. So, what's your excuse? I'm broke. That's I'm too busy excuse. reading. You can read at the retreat. I'm no, broke. I'm supposed to be writing. It's and a writing reading, retreat and critiquing. You'll be I'm writing broke. the work. Reading. You'll be writing the works of your peers. You can yeah. read on the way there. I'm broke. Yeah, remember that. T- remember that time I read the entire way ocean. from Calgary, Hi, Seattle. I'm destitute broke. But seriously, uh, check out the <laughs> RAR writing, the <laughs> writing, what is it, the Regional Anthropomorphics Writing Retreat, Rar. which this year will be right before Big Little Furcon, who have announced their dates. Which is right before Furry, which has now announced their dates. But it's going to be in South Lake Tahoe, I believe, Tahoe. and applications are free, and go check out the website at rar.community, or check out, there's a tweet, what's the tweet? Rar. Rar. What's the Twitter account? What is the Rar Twitter account? You should shut that flashlight off. Yep. Oh, that was I it. had an idea and you just broke it. Or right. check out their Twitter at Rar Workshop. Cool. All right. Go, go curl up with a good book. Have we'll a talk fantastic to you later. week. Good Bye. to Robin. Read abandoned places. Read a book. Read a book. Read a motherfucking book. Thank you.